listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hey, Tony. Good to see you, man. Yo, Chris, do me a favor real quick. Can you go lock that door for me? Yeah, 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 no problem. What are you, on the run or something? Cops looking for you? Oh, shit, did you hear that? Yeah, bro. Ransomware gang, back in town. They've been cruising around on their choppers, hitting every other bar on the street. They've been causing chaos, destroying everything in their path. And I know it's only a matter of time before they come in here again. Well, if they do... How you want to know they're a ransomware gang? Read the patch, bro. Plus, they all got wicked beards and cut-off tees. Damn. Well, there's a new sheriff in town, and he's supposed to be meeting up with me here in just a minute. Time to lay down the law? You know it. Until then, let me get a drink. You got it, man. We're calling this one the epic fail. You're going to mix in one and a half ounces of vodka, three and a half ounces of Coke, Squeeze a half a lemon, pour that thing over ice, and then garnish it with a lemon. Enjoy. Thanks, dude. Yo, the man just walked in. All right. Well, enjoy that drink, and we'll see you next round. Oh, and tell him to lock the door, would you? here with Greg Edwards, CEO of CryptoStopper, a service that provides ransomware protection by automatically detecting and stopping actively running ransomware attacks in less than one second. Greg, welcome to the show, man. Chris and Mike, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, Mike Elkins, my partner in crime, strikes again. Mike, what's up, my man? Chris, Greg, nice to see you guys. Pleasure to be part of another awesome conversation. So, before we get into the depths of ransomware, Greg, would you mind sharing your background with us and how you ultimately landed in security? Yeah, sure. So, so I started a managed services business in 1998 when I was 24. Really had no idea what I was doing, but 1998 was a good year to uh, be replacing servers and desktops as Y2K was coming and everybody had to replace everything. Uh, so started that in 98. Out of that managed services business in 2007, I started an offsite backup and disaster recovery company uh, and grew that nationally. And then actually started seeing the rise of ransomware in about right around 2012, actually when Bitcoin became kind of started to become prevalent and available. And the first, uh, first ransomware attack that we dealt with, they were, they were demanding a $40 ransom <laughs> to get, get, get the files back. Um, so I started seeing the ransomware attacks really early on. And we as a, as a company became experts in helping people to recover from ransomware. And so doing that, I mean, we were doing it on a weekly basis. There was one weekend um, that we did 14 
simultaneous recoveries because of one ransomware variant. And so it became, from a, a backup standpoint, it became a bigger problem than any other kind of hardware failures, natural disasters. I mean, people were doing full on recoveries because of ransomware, which is still, you know, still happening today. Um, but I got together with my engineers and said, you know, is there anything that we could do to prevent ransomware? You know, like we can't, we know we can't stop it. The malware and antivirus isn't stopping it. Um, so is there anything we could do on the other side to kill those attacks so that people didn't have to go to their backups for recovery? Because even when you have a good backup, it's devastating for a company to be down, you know, even if it's two hours, which is like, best 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 case scenario it's usually more like two days or two weeks before they fully recover if they have a good backup and the backups aren't destroyed in the ransomware attack so fast forward um, i was able to exit and sell uh, access backup was the offsite backup company sold that to j2 global which is a tech publicly traded tech conglomerate uh, and started crypto stopper and so started actually started in 2017 but then we didn't launch a, a public product until 2019 and then actually launched into the MSP channel just in 2021. So that's 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 my career history. I don't know if you wanted the long-winded version of it or not. No, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um so I came across this website not long ago called ransomwareclock.org. Have you seen this? Mm, I haven't seen this one yet. It's a site that aggregates stats from public and private sources, and then it gives you the numbers associated with reported ransomware attacks. It doesn't even include stats for unreported or attacks in progress. So yeah. I'm looking at it right now, and we are over $15.6 billion in cost of ransomware attacks for 2021 year to date and the numbers are climbing like a thousand bucks per second one stat i also was shocked by was that it says that a new ransomware attack occurs every 11 seconds yeah so that's the number that um so cybersecurity ventures quoted that number also every 11 seconds and they're estimating it's going to go to every two seconds by 2030. Whew, that's insane. So it, it, I mean, it's something that's not, I mean, people just have not taken cybersecurity seriously enough uh, and have not put any, you know, any effort beyond, well, some have, I can't say all, but so many companies, still think that firewall and antivirus is enough to protect them. And I mean, as we know, I mean, malware has always gotten through, right? I mean, you guys have been in IT for a while. It used to be 10 years ago. If you had a, a malware event, it just slowed the computer down, might've caused the user some issues, potential of data breach, but usually just an annoyance. And you re-image the machine and threw it back on the network. Well, today, those malware that get through are almost all ransomware. So when you think about it in that perspective, where we've always had this problem of some malware getting through, now it's just uh, the ones that get through are all ransomware. So think about it. 
every 11 seconds, predicted to be two seconds soon, we're getting hit regularly, right? And it doesn't look like it's going to ease up anytime soon. This has been going on heavily since 2012, like you mentioned. You know, what's the holdup? What are some of the challenges that are associated here that organizations are faced with in terms of stopping ransomware? Is it the technology? Is it the strategy? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's that mentality of it's not going to happen to me. You know, I mean, that's I mean, that's the until it happens, right? Until it does. And then it's too late. And then, you know, I, I think one of the triggers for me um, in the, the switch that I made from thinking, okay, backup, because backup, like it absolutely have to have backup. And I'm a full, fully layered security defense in depth proponent. Um, but used to think, okay, well, backup, you know, backup, that's how we protect against ransomware. And there was a weekend where I took the emergency system calls over a Thanksgiving weekend and had a gentleman call, owned, um, owned a small manufacturing company and had gotten hit by ransomware and called the offsite backup company. This is years ago. And this guy was nearly in tears and asking, you know, how we could help him. And they weren't an existing client, so we didn't have their backups. And I said, you know, I, I gave him some options for what he needed to do. But that emotion of once you've been hit and you're in the middle of an attack and what do you do? And you don't know if you have good backups or not. You don't have a, a good plan. I mean, that was really the trigger for me to make that decision of, okay, we've got to, we've got to look at this differently and take a different approach. And that's really, I mean, what it comes down to is that business owners, boards of directors, CEOs, they have to take responsibility for cybersecurity and not that they have to learn it and understand everything about it, but they've got to look at it from a business risk standpoint and say, what's it going to cost me? I mean, if we're shut down for a week by ransomware, what does that do to us? And are we ready to handle that? I've often found in my 23 years of IT experience that no matter how many times I share this with clients during consulting sessions and I try to get them of the mindset of regardless of your defenses, whether they're current or future, as an organization, Data is the new oil and data is valuable. You should always plan for if, or I'm sorry, for when, not if, you're going to have a penetration or a malware attack. Because it doesn't matter if you're a large global enterprise entity or a small mom and pop shop that does mechanics. People will come for your data and they're going to take the path of least resistance and you're going to have to pay one way or another. You either pay up front to go through the consultant services and build a multi-layered security posture to go through and test and validate your backups to do your annual or semi-annual DR failover test and recovery. Uh, but I find that organizations often struggle to fully comprehend that or to fully implement solutions that on the surface they know they should, they know they definitely need to, but don't. Do you have any insight 
into why that is. Is that the psychology aspect of it's just me, it's never going to happen to me? Or is there a bigger underlying problem there? Well, so I think there's a bigger underlying problem in the education of those not that CEOs and boards of directors aren't educated, but they're not educated in cybersecurity. I mean, this is such a, if you look at the rise and how quickly this has happened, I mean, I've been screaming it for nearly 10 years now. Um, but in terms of the slow glacial movement of companies and that education process, the, I think that's the underlying problem. I mean, if we look back, I mean, Target, so the, the attack on, on the Target Corporation, that really was the first, that was 2014. So that really was the first big Fortune 500 company to make that big national news of a data breach. And I mean, there's not a Fortune 500 company today that hasn't been spending millions, even billions on cybersecurity, but that was just 2014. So it really wasn't that long ago in terms of how, how slowly companies move to change. And so I really think it comes down to the, the two factors of, A, it's not gonna happen to me, so I can just keep sticking my head in the sand and not worry about it. And then B, they don't know what to worry about. They're not, educated on what exactly their their risks are and not you know it's not a matter of necessarily taking it seriously this is they don't know what to take seriously and where to start I mean, if you look at the you know look at the nist um, 171 framework and you as a consultant or as a business owner like you go to implement that and it's overwhelming so you know where do you start you got to start somewhere but it starts with education and and I think starts at the CEO and board of directors level. Yeah, in terms of education, I'd say there's definitely a struggle with large organizations understanding the moving pieces, understanding their own supply chain, and then also being able to translate that to leadership. How about education for SMBs? Number one is there a lack of understanding there? And number two, is there a real risk to SMBs? Uh, Matt, I mean, the, those ransomware attacks that are happening every 11 seconds, the bulk of those are happening to SMBs and to, um, to government, small government organizations. So, so yeah, the, and the, the lack of education there is a lot of the, a lot of the techs and engineers don't, necessarily understand the risks and then the other or exist and then the other problem is they're not good salesmen like we we in the tech industry once we recognize okay we we need to implement these solutions well then you have to be a salesman to go sell that up the chain to get the budget approval for it and we're we're as a group not good at that what do you think is engineers Technologists, I'll say, not even engineers, because I mean, technologists really, because it's it's multifaceted. How could we? This is a very individual discussion point, but how could we get engineers and technologists to think more of a sales-minded way, so that when they had that challenge, 
they're able to either go to the right person to sell it up the chain of command to get that funding or take ownership themselves to go through the process to get funding. Cause that can be a political nightmare. It could be, you know, that one team or one person even taking ownership of that problem, which if it doesn't work out to the way that they're hoping, that's their burden to bear now, right? They're, they're the sponsor of that project. Yeah, yeah. I mean, luckily in my career, I've either had the confidence or arrogance to not ever have that issue. Um, but I totally know what you're saying. I mean, like as you within a corporation or as a consultant, if you're selling that up, like you're selling the solution. So it's it's on you. But it, it's got to come to like number one confidence. Like you've got to believe you got you to know your know your stuff. Um, and believe that those are absolutely the right solutions. I mean, there's no, there's no silver bullet, right? There's no hundred percent guarantee. So you, you've got to be able to put it into what are the business risk terms? You got to have, you know, number one, you got to have confidence in what the solution is, and then you've got to put it into business risk terms of if we don't do this. Here's what the potential costs are. There's a ransomware attack that happens every 11 seconds. So should we protect ourselves from that beyond just having a backup? I know that one of the industry standards around just having a backup was the 3211 rule, right? It used to be three copies of your data in two different locations, one backup, I think it was. And then they added that that. Th- fourth item or fourth octet, which is a backup that is air gapped and powered off. So it's completely off the network. (laughs) So I I agree with that, except there's hardly any organization that can actually implement that and especially in an automated way. So, and again, backup to me is that like, if you have to go to backup because of a ransomware attack, you've at least you have something but you've lost so what what facts and agree with that right because now you're in that downtime scenario and you don't know if your backup's good maybe unfortunately i've worked with companies who have gone through backups and they don't even have validation that their backups have been successful or completed for months so how do you even know that it's good right what are you seeing is more industry standard common practices or, you know, even get away from industry standard because sometimes what the industry does is not always what's in its best interest. (laughs) What what are you seeing that's commonplace now that organizations are adopting to protect themselves? So it's still backup. I mean, that's, that is still the, I would say the number one thing. And, And I can't disagree that like, if you don't have a good backup solution, like that's where you should start. Like you have to have good backups and those backups should be offsite and encrypted backups that can't be sabotaged by the ransomware attackers. And I mean, the way to do that is to have, make sure that you're not using the same um, admin, you don't, don't use your same admin credentials for your offsite backup solution as your admin network on the local network. Like, People just have to have that at least level of understanding that they've got to have those offsite backups. They have to be encrypted and they have to have 
separate passwords. So, I mean, that's, that's the first place that you do have to start. Like if you don't have that, got to get that done. And then, I mean, the second step to me is patch management. So making sure that you don't have open vulnerabilities on your network, like take care of those fundamental things and, uh, you know, and then look at solutions like CryptoStopper to add additional layers because you, again, it's, it's all about having that defense in depth so that if they get past the one layer, you know, you have one machine that doesn't get patched and you have the user that hasn't been through the phishing training that clicks on the, clicks on the PDF file attachments that they just have to open, which it's going to happen. Right. So that you've got to have those layers of defense. So Greg, you have been following ransomware closely for a while now, and you've gotten to see, you know, the rise and evolution of it. Lately, there has just been some insane flavors of ransomware out there. I'm curious, what are some of the ones that you have noticed in particular that seem to be the most unorthodox? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the most, I guess, interesting and not that it really did anything interesting from the standpoint of ransomware, but just uh, there's a variant called Jigsaw that's out there that uses the the Jigsaw character from the uh, from the Saw movies that pops up and then it's got a timer saying if you if you don't pay the ransom, your files are going to be deleted. I mean, it's just it's it's very visually attacking. Um and then I, I, you know, I think that the more, I don't know if this is interesting, unique uh, perspective that most people don't think about with ransomware is the fact that right now in Russia, it is absolutely legal for a Russian citizen to attack and use ransomware against any, any entity anywhere in the world, as long as it's not a Russian based entity. So there's no, you know, you think about if we were coming up, you think about the three of us coming up as technologists, and we know that there's a $15 billion industry out there that we could sit in our basements and go perpetrate these events, which are not crimes like that. There's really no moral dilemma for them. And so I think that that's a really interesting take that most people don't think about as to why on a global scale, we have such a problem because you have in Russia is not the only country, um, but lots of places in the world where you can use the same talents that we have and make millions and millions of dollars without having to go do the hard work of, of starting a real business and interacting with customers. And so that's, they look at it as businesses and there's not a, a moral problem with doing it for them. So, um, and then, I, you know, a recent, this has been probably 18 months or so ago that we saw this first variant of ransomware that rather than just encrypting the files to the disk, it would take and write everything into memory and encrypt in memory and then dump it back and write it to disk. So you would have up to, you know, it all depended on how much memory and how big the files were, but you could have thousands of files 
written to memory, not even touching the disk, and then all at once dumping back to the disk. Uh, and that was that was a change that we needed to make to our software to rec- because we weren't looking for that um, to begin with. And you know, in cybersecurity, it's it's a cat and mouse game where we can't always think of every next new way that they're going to come up with to encrypt or exfiltrate the data. Um, but we have to constantly be thinking about the future and then also reacting to what's happening in real time. In terms of, like you said, the reaction, right? An organization gets cornered and, you know, it's time to restore a mission critical service versus perform IR and try to avoid paying the ransom. Yeah. And from a, from a legal standpoint, like I would always say, don't pay the ransom, but until your company is the one that's now been ransomed and you don't have good backups and it's, you're going to go out of business or you're going to pay or your insurance most likely is going to pay a $400,000 ransom. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, that's, and that's the, the case. I mean, you even look at the colonial pipeline event and that was our evil, uh, that, that perpetrated that, um, they paid a $5 million ransom just and they had good backups. They still paid the 5 million that, um, NSA got some of that back, um, but paid that $5 million ransom just to help try to speed the recovery up. And, you know, and that's the mentality when you're in that moment of, especially when you shut off 45% of the gas and oil flow to the East coast, like, what do you think their decision process was? It's whatever it's going to take and how much ever it's going to take. Let's go do it. And it's, it is being more disruptive from a ransomware perspective to not just a business, but really a way of life and, and supply chains and, and quality of life. There was an article that was released at the end of September that confirmed the first uh, death in a hospital. Uh, it was a young child, last name was Kid, K-I-D-D. The baby unfortunately passed because the ransomware had affected the hospital system and the medical professionals were not able to follow the correct continuum of care plans that they had ideally would have liked to have done to address some of the issues that the child was having and the child died. That's the first reported case that I'm aware of, at least publicly, that is a result of that. Um, and then there's also some recent ransomware attacks on meat manufacturing plants where it shut down the ability to provide food and services. So this is not anything new. And as the smaller companies, SMB companies are putting in some even basic gates, you know, it just, it, a determined person is always going to get what they want. It's just a matter of how much they have to dig to get what they're going to get. And, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I just see more supply chain disruption, more real world consequences as a result of encrypted data that they can't get back. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that. And I think, again, I think that the, the only thing that really solves the root of the problem is one, and this is a big if, if nations can come together to at least have, I mean, 
it's not ever going to completely solve the problem because you're going to have individuals that will still perpetrate it. But right now, having every 11 seconds a business entity or a government agency being hit by ransomware, I mean, this and expected to go to every two seconds, like it is going to affect the, the quality of life of people. And, and we do have to get that under control. I, I mean, I hope that my company can be a big part of that. It was one of the reasons that that I started Crypto Stoppers because, I, I mean, it, I, I want companies to be protected from ransomware and not have to go through that emotional. I mean, it is even as on the recovery side, it was like mentally distressing to our, our engineers and to myself to work with those people in that state because it is such an emotionally taxing time for for people. So I do want to discuss Crypto Stopper for a moment. Would you mind talking to the protection approach as well as, you know, a high level view of the architecture? Yeah. So so we use deception technology. So we're deploying bait files throughout a network to get that early detection of ransomware. So when a ransomware event is actually happening and we're it's, it's a we call it a post execution termination algorithm. So it's watching for that encryption actually happening and then taking action against it. So we deploy those bait files and at the heart it's really file integrity monitoring, but then with a trigger to do something. So once one of those bait files or the native files, so we watch the, the bait files that we deploy and we recruit a subset of native files so that we've got a good mix, but we're not from a, from a resources standpoint, can't watch every single file. Um, and then once that encryption is detected, then we take an automated action either to kill the process or to isolate the machine if it's a remote attack. Got it. Company goes through, they do what they can to protect. An impact happens and they have that pay or don't pay decision. The challenge with that decision is regardless of what action they take, there is still no guarantee that they're going to get the data, that the keys are going to unlock their data. And what I've also found is that organizations really struggle to understand how long that ransomware has been in their environment. So even if they pay the ransom, get the keys, they unlock their data, there's no guarantee that it's not going to be relocked and re-ransomware again based upon the prior attack, because that could have been in there for 60, 90, 120 days very easily. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my comment to that is that I agree. And there is not a there's not a good way other than I have so I have seen that the ransomware attackers have much better customer service in that they will actually prove to you that they can recover files. Now this is this sounds like a joke and mostly is is because of the nature of it, but I've also actually seen where they'll give a guarantee that we won't attack you again for at least a year. And they'll give you a written guarantee, but I mean, what a joke, right? Like you're dealing with criminals. Really? You're not going to attack me? You promise? Yeah, you can't trust a criminal. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I would say to that, I mean, the companies that are hit by ransomware, I mean, they they do take 
cybersecurity much more seriously after the fact. I mean, unfortunately, that's the case. Uh, but then it's all the same stuff. I mean, it comes down to having that defense in depth. Um, you know, one component that that we've been using since I want to say since 2015 is EDR and knowing. So having, um, we use Carbon Black EDR within our company um, and having and knowing where every single connection is coming from, like having that almost recorded, not almost, having that complete recorded history that you can go back and look at what's happening, like that was an eye opener for me as a technologist and just one more component of cybersecurity that I think every company should have. It's just a matter of where do you start and how do you implement all these different solutions if the only thing you have today is firewall and antivirus. Yeah, it's a, a never-ending battle and something that companies should constantly have in the front of their mind to prepare for the when, not if, because yeah. statistically speaking, companies are more likely to get hit than not. Right. Right. And I mean, it, we're we're all constantly being attacked. So we have to be protecting against that. And, and are you able to recognize it? Are you able to stop it? It's not because you're right. I mean, it's not whether or not you're going to be attacked. You're being attacked. It's are you going to be able to stop it, recognize and stop it? Well, Greg, I know you're out there in the Iowa City, Cedar Rapids area. If I were traveling out there, what cool bars would you direct me to? Ah, uh, so Big Grove Brewery would be I, the the coolest right now. So there's two two locations. Um, one is in in the city of Iowa City, and it's a really really the cool kind of um, brew pub that we haven't traditionally had here in Iowa. I mean, amazing beer um, and great food. They have outdoor facilities. I mean, it's just a cool place. Um, and then there's also one in the city of Solon, not city, town. Town of Solon is about 3,000 people. That's that's the closest, just about five minutes from where I am. Uh, they have a location there also. So with the brewery nearby, is beer your go-to then, or do you do you know, mixed drinks as well. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a fan of all, uh, but more, more, more beer. Got it. So what drink would you be willing to pay a ransom for? Uh, so, and actually it's a big grove beer called easy Eddie. So it's a hazy IPA that is, is delicious. And I'm certain I'm going to have one tonight. <laughs> I love hazy IPAs. Yeah. I may make the drive out there just for that. That sounds very good. Absolutely. I, I could, uh, I could ship you some deal. Mike, you're an IPA fan, aren't you? Of course. I love my, uh, my victory brew pub, which is very local to where I'm at in Pennsylvania. Um, I, my house is about halfway between two of the locations, so it's pretty spot on for that. And when I go down the, the beer menu, usually I go and say, what's highest ABV? And then I make my pick from there. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a version of this Easy Eddie called Royal Eddie that's a 9%. <laughs> alcohol and yeah yeah it's a little i i actually prefer more in the five 
to six percent alcohol. I think once it gets above once it gets above the six uh, percent, it gets a little little uh, too dangerous for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two two of those nine percenters will uh, sneak up on you real quick. Right, right. So, so here in Iowa, um, it was, there was a legal limit of three and a half percent on beer for the longest time. And so all through my early twenties, we'll say, uh, <laughs> um, we were drinking three and a half percent beer. So you could have, you know, you could have a six pack and, but now you go to, uh, even a 6% or especially an 11% beer, <laughs> You can't have six of those. And if you do have six of them, it's a rough day the following day. So, Greg, I just heard last call here. You got time for one more? I've got time for one more. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? How about Cyber Hotspot? <laughs> Making this up on the fly. No, nah, it's great. Uh, I like that. I like that. And signature drink, I think, um, I think some take on like a whiskey sour that was cool. That would be, that would be a good, uh, both cyber criminal and cyber defender drink. It seems like have a good, good take on, uh, some sort of, uh, whiskey sour that doesn't ruin the, the whiskey part of the, of the whiskey sour. Yeah. But you would only accept Bitcoin for it. Yeah. There you go. Well, could be other cryptocurrencies. So, and uh, if any patron has trouble paying for it, you have a help desk they can call. Help them set up their uh, their their wallet. Help them with payment. <laughs> right, right. I like it. All right, cool. Let's do it, man. I'm down. Real quick before you go, can you share where our listeners can find you online? Yeah, so uh, getcryptostopper.com uh, and then also LinkedIn. So Greg Edwards, CryptoStopper, if you search for me, you'll find me. Um, next week, I'm going to be in Las Vegas talking at the Connect IT event that's put on by Kaseya um, and talking about the, the future of cybersecurity. Cool. All right, well, Greg, thanks again. You take care. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, guys. patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcode podcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.